I was finishing out the 2010 um, Olympic season. I was racing the 500 meter. Mind you, I had just come off the starting line. So I'm not even at school speed capacity. And I was getting ready to enter the corner at my very first crossover. We think my left foot wasn't in the ice that day. So when I went to put pressure on my left foot and to put my weight on it to be able to gear up for speed, it went right from underneath me. I was next to the pad. We have what's called pads all around the 400 meter track. Mm -hmm. My foot, what we think happened, got stuck underneath that pad. And the torque of my body is what we think ripped off my foot. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Today, Jim sits down with Kelly Gunther, a 2014 U.S. Olympian in speed skating. At the age of six, Kelly knew she wanted to be an Olympian when she saw others take the ice. She briefly took up figure skating before taking up inline speed skating because she wanted to move faster than the music allowed. As an inline skater, she won multiple world championship gold medals on the U.S. relay team before transitioning to ice speed skating in 2009. While this was the start of Kelly's road to becoming an Olympian, she could have never predicted the obstacles that came her way. Despite having a learning disability as a student, facing setbacks in her skating career, and nearly losing her entire foot on the ice in a double compound fracture, Kelly found a way to come back each time, earning her the nickname, The Comeback Kid. We're so excited to bring you this episode, and make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Good Athlete Podcast. And now, Kelly Gunther. Are you cool if we just start talking about your Olympic dream, where mm -hmm. that came from? Yeah, just dive right in. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Where did, where did you start? Where'd you first start thinking about that? I mean, that's who would even have the boldness to to think that way? You, obviously. Yeah, I guess so. Um, well, I can take you down a little bit of memory lane. Uh, I can remember uh, watching the Olympics as I was a six year old little girl. I was sitting Indian style in front of the TVs during the Winter Olympics. I was watching figure skating, and I. I have no idea what made me think this, what made me say this, but as I was that little girl sitting in dance style, as I was, I was like, I want to be on that stage someday. I didn't know how I was going to get there. I didn't know how it was going to happen. Um, I didn't know what those Olympic rings meant, um, to be quite honest with you, or really how important that they were. I think I just fell in love with watching these skaters tell their story and the audience just being so engaged. And every time they landed that perfect jump, every time they came out of that perfect spin, um, you know, there was applaud there. And I, mm. you could just tell like, you know, they worked so hard for that many years to be able to show it off. And I think that's really where the dream began um, right there. And it all started and it's taken me around the world. That's And you said you were how old? I was six. Six years old, sitting yeah. on the floor, watching this thing come to life. Yeah. And were you skating at that point already? Nope, but I never skated. Um, went to the local roller rink the very next day. Um, and for 25 years later, I had never taken them off. <laughs> That's unbelievable. At, at six, were you doing other sports or? No, um, I always laugh and I'm saying I'm very, um, not athletic. Um, people were like, Kelly, you know what you did, right? And I was like, yeah, I had like hand and eye coordination, not my forte. Um, I have a special education background. Um, so learning was very hard for me. Um, but I really used that to my advantage um, 
to be honest with you, it's something that I think I was so embarrassed of in middle school, high school, um, where I came out on the other side of it, where it was something I was so proud to be of. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my parents just really adapted me into, into skating. And I, um, I just happened to be, I guess, a little bit good at it. I don't know. <laughs> well, all right. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. The, the, how intensely humble that statement was in a second. Uh, but th- this might be super empowering for, for young athletes, especially mm-hmm. what were some of those challenges, some of those hurdles on the special education side of things? Yeah. Um, I think the hurdles for me were just me personally, because I always wanted to be like that girly girl. Like I always loved my hair and makeup. I always wanted to be the cheerleader. I didn't always understand like why my classes were different than, you know, theirs were, um, but I think just gravitating towards it and just realizing, you know, skating was kind of my quote unquote out sort of say. Mm. Um, and I say that because all of my special education teachers, they were so behind me within my skating um, and the board of directors of my high school were. Um, I, so I think having that support, it didn't necessarily become such a hurdle because I took and gravitated what I was good at and realized, okay. And may not be the fastest reader or the fastest person to be able to figure out a math problem, um, you know, but on skates, I could be the fastest person. So, you know, just realizing what you're good at, um, always easier said now, probably later than then. Uh, but, you know, for all the listeners out there, I promise you, it's just a hurdle. And I always say, if I can get over it, anyone can get over it. <laughs> I love that. And would you be willing to share and don't feel put on the spot where, but what were some of those challenges? Like, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No, like learning specific challenges early on. Mm-hmm. What did you have to wrestle with? Yeah. Mostly just comprehension um, yeah. and just learning in general. I always laugh. Um, about four years ago, I moved back to Ohio. I lived in Salt Lake City for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned to you kind of offline, but online, I want to have my own foundation. Um yep. With that also being said, I really want to write a book. And the reason why I say that is because I moved back to Ohio, totally on a limb, totally a leap of faith. And I went and saw a neurologist. I was like, okay, like, I want to write a book. How can I do this? Mm. And I have a learning, like I told him my background, you know, a little bit. And he, he laughed and he said, Kelly, you just have a simple learning disability. He's like, you know what you want and you want it now. Like you're like just easy living in the fast lane. You're used to it. And I just laughed and I said, yeah, I am very used to it. <laughs> um, so I think there was just, um, just basic, you know, seeing a doctor, just, um, a learning disability. Yep. I like this idea that that would come full circle and end up in a book though. Are you, is that in progress? Have you, where are you at with that? Yeah, so I actually have started it during COVID. You know, we had all that extra time on our hands. Um, I really dug into it, um, really dove in deep into just starting from the beginning and see where it goes. Um, but I have to pick up back on it and, you know, start writing again and finish the chapters. I like that. And is that like, are you thinking like memoir? Or is this mm-hmm. yeah. completely memoir? Yeah, yeah. I love that, which will get us very seamlessly into your story how does it give us maybe even the general arc of the book maybe that's a good entryway so you're 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 six years old you fall in love with this sport you go head first into this career 
Yeah. Um, well, I guess I thought figure skating was my thing. I thought it was going to be everything. Um, but I was a little too fast for the beat of the music. So essentially, I just couldn't hear the beat of it at six years mm -hmm. old. Um, but I think I just got introduced to inline speed skating because not hearing the beat and wanting to go fast and roller skates, like I would fall and get back up and do it again. It didn't matter how fast I was going and it hurt. Um, so I did that for about a few years and then I get introduced to inline speed skating. So completely different, um, having to wear a helmet, um, a skin suit, mind you, is now eight, nine at this time. And I was like, I have to wear a helmet and a skin suit. Like I want to do my hair and makeup still. Right. Um, but going fast and turning left just um, became something that I was really natural at. And it taken me all around the world. I'm in my very first junior world championships at 13. Um, trials were in Colorado Springs. Um, kind of went on a limb, you know, to get the experience to try it and made that first junior world team. Um, traveled actually to Southern France um, down there. I did wow. many, many marathons all over the country. I had been on sponsor teams. Um, I went to Korea for junior world championships, probably my junior year of high school. Um, and so got to travel the world through inline speed skating. Amazing. It's just, unfortunately, it's just not an Olympic sport. So. Well, so um, tell me the, the, for those for the uninitiated i've seen your highlight reels um inline speed mm -hmm. skating i like that idea going fast and turning going fast yeah. and turning left something got really good at that could be a memoir title right there the yeah. um the what what does that look like what are the distances what are some mm -hmm. of the speeds that you get up to that i mean it's super impressive to watch for anyone who wants to google it or look for it on youtube yeah um we would get going pretty fast i can remember as a little girl, I don't know if this is safe or not, but I used to follow my mom behind her car and she'd probably get up to maybe like 15, 20 miles an hour. Uh, and wow. then, so, yeah, so we would do a lot of road races, a lot of um, bank tracks. So anywhere from your typical 500 meter to your long distance races, 5k, 10k's um, and inline speed skating, they have a lot of different races. So you have um process of elimination elimination race you have a point system race you have marathons they're really big in marathons overseas um not so much um here in the u.s fortunately i just haven't been in the inline world anymore i assume that they're still doing those um overseas a lot as marathons but um, when you I'm say marathon sure. are you talking about the actual marathon distance mm -hmm. wow yeah. Yeah, so 26.2. Okay. Yeah, I could always say I said I can skate it. I don't know about running it, but that's right. That's right. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Very cool. So all of a sudden you find out you're traveling the world and found out that you've got a pretty special skill set. Was that mm -hmm. and then did that just like increase the intensity? Where did that take you? Yeah, um, just I just kept falling in love with it and still having my eyes on the site of the Olympic rings. Um, so fast forwarding, I was about 18, 19, graduated high school from Clinton Township, Michigan. And at that point, mind you, I had never stepped ice on ice skates. I wanted nothing to do with the cold, hated the cold, don't want to go on the ice rink, wanted nothing to do with it. Um, but I was getting to that age where, because I had never been in an ice rink, I needed to learn a brand new sport, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so they were taking the top end athletes of inline speed skating 
and moving them across wherever you're moving from, across from me, from my instance, across the country to Salt Lake City, Utah, to learn this program where it's called Inline to Ice. So I move across the city or country to that, um, try short track speed skating for a little bit, um, did okay. But then I got introduced to long track speed skating and that just kind of became my home. Uh, long track speed skating is a lot kind of time trial. I mean, it essentially is a time trial, but to revenant and knew it to inline speed skating, I guess it would kind of be like kind of almost like a marathon, um, just a lot of different races because you're it's um it's you know all mental in mind. So when you're on the track, it's just you and the clock. <laughs> That's right. Well, that's okay. So you are on ice for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. And those distances, you said, are those pretty similar? Like how many times around the track do you go? So my bread and butter actually was, it was the thousand. So it was only two and a half laps around. Um, I could race the 1500 and wasn't my favorite. wasn't my best race. Um, 3k was okay. 500 um, was only about one and a half laps. So it wasn't mm-hmm. too bad, but um, what it really came down to is the thousand meter for me. So I went from pretty long distance and inline speed skating to pretty short and long track though. Yeah. Full, so you, you had a pretty good endurance base then once you got into the true speed stuff. Yeah. I like it. And then, um, and what kind of time are we talking about? So you go around two and a half times. What's the duration? Um, so my best time that I made the Olympic team was 116.43. Um, I think the world record is, oh God, 111. I think she's got it down to 111, 112. I'm pretty sure it's 111, if I'm not mistaken. And that's actually in Salt Lake. So. Oh, wow. And how, how exhausting is that? Would, would you put that in the category of like the 400 and track or something? Like, how does it feel to get through that? Um, I mean, it feels like a 1500, to be honest with you, because I feel like you, it's not like, you can't really hold yourself back, but it's not an all-out sprint. So you just mm-hmm. got to be like that perfect like timing right there. Uh, I mean, after any race, I think you're just exhausted and dead completely because you're putting it all out there. But if I had to compare it to, I'd probably say, yeah, like a 400 meter track meet because they seem like they're hauling pretty hard also. <laughs> For sure. But the, it, it is such a, like, I think people can get their minds around the idea of like point A mm-hmm. to point B, like a 40 yard dash as fast as you can. And then people probably just the general consumer of these sports can understand like the endurance marathon type yeah. stuff, but it's, it's these sort of hybrid distances that are always so intriguing. Cause uh, yeah. What a special skill set that is. Yeah. Like it's freaking hard. The yeah. um, okay. So you start to get good at this now, this becomes mm-hmm. your new thing. And when do you find out that you're like sort of national or even world level? Yeah. So um I just kept skating, you know, trying to keep getting faster of, you know, where technique was, um, how I could, you know, improve, you know, training hours or eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, it was completely different from what I was used to. And I would make, I think I made that first year, 2009, a few rail cups here and there. Um, mind you, so I was getting geared up to 2010 Olympic trials. Um I was competing against girls who had already medaled in the previous Olympics. Um, silver, I want to say she was a silver bronze medalist, if not bronze medalist in the last, in the 1,000 meter, um, mm. previous inline speed skater as well, actually. Mm. Um, and so I just skated those Olympic trials. 
Um, they were in Salt Lake City. So I was already living there, you know, home based. And when you're have a World Cup in your home country, you're always geared one more spot. So we had a little bit more, you know, spots for the U.S. skaters to race. Uh, I race that World Cup because um, we always have the fastest ice on earth. So the ice is really good. If you want to get a personal best, you know, that's really your time to kind of shine, I guess, so to say. Sure. Uh, so I, it was November of 2009. I got the last um, spot actually earned for the United States to be able to race off to be able to go to Vancouver, Canada. So the U.S. already had the top three spots secured, ready to go. Um, but with my new personal best time, I got the U.S. the fourth and final position. Wow. Um, 2010, they did Olympic trials completely different um, from how they do them now. Sorry, I'm taking notes here. I'm there. This is uh, you're good. Here. Okay, so you got fourth. You you so you made it, and and then what? Where do you go from there? So, so I made it to only to race off. So as I said, they did Olympic trials completely different 2010. So because those top three spots were earned um, from their World Cup standings, their World Cup times, they didn't have to race off in December. So in December, I raced the thousand meter, again, my bread and butter, mm -hmm. and we were doing 2000 meter times. So my competitor and I, who kept going back and forth all year, uh, I won the first day. So I won going into the second day. Everyone said, Kelly, stand your feet. Like, you'll be good. Uh, and so she, in long track speed skating, and if you don't know, you race in twos. So essentially, you just, as you and a partner, um, you're scattered at the starting line. And you typically don't bump into each other. There's really, you're in your own lane, your own little world, basically. Yeah. Um, well, as she is the pair ahead of me, I see her skate. She gets a time. She falls maybe five to 10 meters um, to the finish line, mm. slides across the finish line. But her time was still accountable. She mm. go gets in third place. And my coach, who actually was a 2001 gold medalist in Salt Lake City, mm. um, 1500 meter skater, had just said, Kelly, stand your feet. We're going to Vancouver. Race your race, do your thing, whatever. Um, do exactly just that because I'm the last pair to go. So no one's going after me. Right. Race my race. Um, I'm put to number one. I ironically get the same day as I did the previous day. Long track speed skating, that's so unheard of. I probably couldn't do that if I tried that again. Sure. Um, I'm in drug testing the whole nine yards. That little girl that's an Indian style, my dream had just come true. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, couldn't believe it. And I was going to Vancouver, you know, everything. It happened for that little moment to only find out while I was in drug testing, the girl that had gotten third place who had fallen was getting a reskate. Um, she gets a reskate and fresh ice, um, first to skate, only to skate, um, gets her personal best time. And within 24 hours, I was taken off an Olympic team and she was put on by rolling. Uh, yeah. Brutal. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> that is brutal. That is um so for a day you thought dream accomplished. I'm an Olympian. Yep. Brand and, new to the sport. Yeah. Dream come true. So how did that feel when you got that second call? Um, pretty devastating. We did an arbitration. We called the US Olympic Committee because 
being brand new to the sport, you know, in like any sport, technically, like three strikes are out. I mean, right. I imagine a baseball player going up to the bat one more time to get a fourth and final strike and it's a home one and you win the World Series. Typically, that doesn't happen, nor would that ever happen because right. that's not the right. rules. Uh, but yeah, I was um, definitely in shock for a little bit, needless to say, and down, but I knew that athlete that I was going to become was going to happen right then and there because I went, I went back to the ice rink the very next day. Uh, it was hard, needless to say, obviously it was very hard for me um, to walk back in to that ice rink, get on the ice. Everyone is on a high, you know, they're gearing up to, to head out to Vancouver. They just made their dreams come true. Um, but as I was on that ice that day and as, as hard as it was, knew that I had to be better, faster, and stronger within four years because nobody was going to take me off on an Olympic team. And, yeah. I love that response. Thank you. So you felt the disappointment, but oh. it sounds like you quickly reframed it and used it as fuel. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you and you have to, right? Um, I knew that that next day, the day was going to go on with or without me. And having that piece of a childhood dream come true to be taken away just like that. I mean, at the end of the day, I was never going to let that happen again, no matter how bad I had to try, focus, train, the whole thing over. Um, Yeah. So it's just everything happens for a reason. I think I found out later what that reasoning was, but in that moment, you never know um, what that reasoning is. So. So quick aside, had you experienced any hurdles like that um, before this? Probably maybe or maybe not to that degree, but what what were some previous challenges? Did anything prep you for that? Yeah, um, really, I don't know if anything preps me for that. Um, I think just having my background, you know, always having to work a little bit harder in school, you know, always having to um, and inline speed skating, yeah, I was good, but I always had to work a little bit harder. You know, if I wanted to make that junior world team or world cup team, I was, I felt like I was always fourth. Like I was always timid to, to race, which was weird because I loved racing. Um, but I think having that all kind of come together for that one moment, it was not nothing. I guess I hadn't experienced before mm. where, um, you know, just, it was new in a completely different way for sure. Cause I never had something like that just be taken away from me. But um, right. I think Certainly that not. was, right. that was just the beginning. All right. So we'll, let's go back. So you were uh, because there's some impactful stuff. <laughs> just a moment that we got to talk to also some mildly gruesome stuff. If I can be honest, uh, yeah. at least from what I saw the, um, but if you go back, so you had these, these challenges, throughout schooling i'm assuming and, and um, who where did that mindset come from like who helped you see those who helped you frame it that way because i could certainly imagine a scenario you see it all the time where people just become disenchanted and frustrated by these things but instead it's you it seems like you you recognize what was going on and said okay i'm i'm gonna learn to work just a little bit harder mm-hmm. uh, i mean was this parents was this educators where did that come from yeah, um, I think a lot came from my inline speed skating coach, um, who kind of was a father figure to me. And 
he's a type of coach where you just go until you go. Like if your legs are going to fall off, they're going to fall off that day. So I think having that mentality, having wanting, you know, something so bad that, you know, you were, I was going to be pushed to that level no matter what. Mm -hmm. And the really the support of my mom, you know, really using that, you know, help for, you know, school. Yeah. was hard for me, but look at this, Kelly, you have this to be able to do not not many can do what you do. And my special ed teachers today, um, still remind me now they're family friends. Unfortunately, I'm out of school for a little bit of a long time. Uh, you know, so just having that support all through my whole life, I think is just where I really picked up from it. And, you know, you just have to know that everything happens for, it doesn't happen for a reason. So everything does happen for a reason. Sorry. Um, within those moments and we have to gravitate towards that. That's amazing. The, um, okay. So now you, so you've learned along the way, you've had many of these moments, you've had to respond to challenge in the past. And now you're at Mm -hmm. this place, you see the disappointment. And I love that line, by the way, I'm taking notes down here. Um, (laughs) you, you knew the athlete that you were going to be, uh, was kind of appearing that day. You're on ice the next day. And you're training, training, training. And am I right to say that there was another hurdle that you did not necessarily mm-hmm. expect? <laughs> yeah, it definitely was. That one threw me for a loop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Tell yeah. us about it. Yeah. So literally um, talking about a baseball player, I went from a nice skater line like a baseball player. Uh, I was finishing out the 2010 um, Olympic season. I was racing in Salt Lake City. I was racing the 500 meter as I mentioned, I am no way a true sprinter. So the corners were my very best friends. So I could always pick up, make my speed up in the corners. Mm-hmm. And I had just passed the 50 meter mark. Mind you, I had just come off the starting line. So I'm not even at full speed capacity at all. Mm-hmm. And I was getting ready to enter the corner at my very first crossover uh, we think my f- left foot wasn't in the ice that day. So when I went to put pressure on my left foot and to put my weight on it, to be able to gear up for speed, it went right from underneath me. So in long track, as I mentioned, we race in two. So you have your inner line and you, your inner lane and you have your outer lane. Mm-hmm. I was racing in the outer lane. So you switch lanes coming out of the back stretch. Well, on my very first crossover, I was next to the pad. We have what's called pads all around the 400 meter track mm-hmm. and my foot what we think happened got stuck underneath that pad and the torque of my body is what we think ripped off my foot so I was I ended Say up that line again torque Tor- off of my body did did, did it was, what it was deattached yeah your foot yeah. was yeah yeah okay. yeah so I so I ended up laying and I was laying on the ice, full stomach, arms out in front of me, just picture literally a baseball player sliding into home plate. That's what I looked like, facing the direction where I just come from, not where I was supposed to be going. Mm-hmm. And I can remember laying on that ice that day, freezing. I was frigid. I was so cold. I knew something was broken, but I didn't know how bad it was broken. I had no idea what it entailed. And I just kept saying to myself, okay, Kelly, you're going to be okay gonna be fine um but I allowed myself to look I said okay you can look once but you can't look again um and as I looked that's when I saw my foot yes was deattached um from my leg 
Yeah. It's like another deep breath. Um, and just focused on, I think how cold I was that day. I never cried. Obviously I'm pretty sure I was in a lot of shock. And yeah, right. Okay. So walk us through that. So I, I assume <laughs> an ambulance showed. Yeah. So the ambulance came, um, they laid off, um, right then and there. They always said if they took the boot off, there's no telling if my foot went with it. Um, true that is, how accurate it is. That's just what the it's paramedics tell me. Gruesome image. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very. Um, but even as I was riding to the hospital, um, with obviously everything I just told you, I'd asked the paramedics, when am I gonna be able to skate again? Yeah. <laughs> they always mm -hmm. laughed and said, I don't know if you know this, Kelly, but your foot's kind of hanging off your leg. Uh, I knew, you know, I was going to be okay. It was a long road ahead of me, but. Um, you, even in that it, moment, you, holy cow. Yeah. That's serious. Yeah. The, um, sorry, can you hear that? The, um, so your foot is like hanging on by a thread and you are already thinking about when am I going to get back on the ice? So what is, I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I heard this story obviously since before we spoke, but like, I would not even know where to start when it comes to the rehab of something like that. Like how long does this take? When are you actually skating again? Um, it, it took a while. So I was in the hospital three days, I wouldn't say. Um, I had no idea where I was. I had no idea what happened. Um, cause obviously we get drug tested. So I'm um, like, the medicine was horrible. They had a fan the end of my bed. It's like midwinter, like in March in Salt Lake City. So you can only imagine how cold it was. <laughs> I was just like sweating. Uh, but the um, rehab and recovery was quite a long one. Yeah. And Dr. Eric Hyden, uh, I'm sure a lot of you probably know the name. He, uh, he actually recommended my doctor. So I was mm. in pretty good hands there. And he had said, you know, you have to go to Colorado Springs to do all of your rehab. Mm. Um, well, a little backstory with Colorado Springs. And as I mentioned earlier, inline speed skating, not being an Olympic sport. Well, when I would go there for trials for inline speed skating residency, and I would make those, I would always say as that teenager and your little girl, however many times I went, I want to live at the Olympic training center someday. Oh, wow. And I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what that was. Um, well, it took my foot hanging off my leg to be able to get there. Uh, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened. So I was non-weight bearing. Uh, I had a plate and 10 screws um, for the first year. So I was non-weight bearing about six to eight weeks, I want to say. It seemed like forever. Um, it was very gradually like I, they weren't, I had to be very careful how much weight I put on to even try to start to walk. Right. Uh, at the very beginning. And then I went to Colorado probably June, I want to say. And when I went to Colorado, I was still on crutches and in a boot. Yes, I was a little bit more weight bearing um, and could put weight on it, but not fully like to the go. Uh, walked in and that's kind of where the journey began, I think, of, you know, what was ahead of us. I'm like, I'm just in shock. Like I, I think of the, the minor injuries I've had to overcome at least comparatively. And I'm just, I'm amazed by your mindset through this whole thing. Um, anyway. Okay. So you, so now you're all of a sudden back on your feet, your body can bear weight once again, which what a thing to say. And you still have not relinquished this 
purpose, this dream. Mm-hmm. Right, when did it start to click again for you? When I lived at the Olympic Training Center. And it was like, this is, and times are coming back. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it, so, so like one theory, honestly, when I first heard it, I was like, well, maybe this person comes back and what a good story just to rebound at all. just get back on the ice to get back on the horse metaphorically but so so the times are starting to come back you're healthy and now the olympics are again a realistic thing yeah yeah they were um i mean we didn't know for sure you know like it was a long road but living at the olympic training center i never lost sight of those olympic rings i i lived it i breathed it i would of course yeah yeah, um, Michael Phelps would, you know, come in and out. You have these athletes. And so I think my road that was ahead of me, yeah, was hard. But again, having not taking no for an option, it just wasn't an option for me. Um, so my first summer there, I was six months, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And let me just say, um, rehab became my training. I did rehab every day, right. twice a day, never missed a session. Um they want to let me leave Colorado until I was able to put skates on and graduate from rehab. Then once I was able to do that, I was able to then go back to Salt Lake City, um, made a World Cup actually when I had come back with all of my hard restaurant in there. Um, and then March, a year later, March, April, they did the surgery without any hardware go back to Colorado Springs my second summer. I was only there for about three months. Now you're two years down, two years to go, and it's really go time um, gearing up to the Olympic trials to 2014. Okay. Tell us more because I think I know how the story ends, but bring <laughs> us to the finish line. Yeah. So um, Olympic trials 2014, they're in Salt Lake City, home ice, um, all of my support around me. Long road. Um, I remember sitting in my one bedroom apartment by myself the night before I skated and I just closed my eyes and said, you know, whatever is going to happen tomorrow is going to happen. Rather I make this Olympic team or don't. Um, we had no idea if I was ever going to be able to skate again. <laughs> and right. The fact that I get the child for the U.S. Olympic team, um, you know, is getting to say so much. And mm-hmm. I went to that line the very next day of the 1000 meter uh, and I wasn't racing for myself anymore. I was racing for the doctors that put me back together. Um, my whole team in Colorado Springs, the U.S. Olympic Committee, you know, my biggest fans, my biggest supporters, um, you know, went to that line with me that day and um, skated my 1,000, two and a half laps around the track. Um, I was named the fourth and final position. I got fourth again, personal best time, and I was headed off to Sochi, Russia. Personal best time after all this? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And then you head off to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. That is unbelievable. That is, yeah. Like, yeah, that's just like a storybook. It's like a fairy tale. Yeah. Uh, it's incredible. How did that feel when you finally, when it finally all came together? Yeah. Like, it, just being out there is a success in and of itself. And you, sounds mm-hmm. like you relinquished the outcome. Whatever's going to happen tomorrow is going to happen. But mm-hmm. then it freaking happened. Yeah. Um, it, it was so surreal, you know, walking to opening ceremonies, never missed an opening ceremony since I was a little girl in Indian style. Uh, you know, so getting to walk through there, the tunnel chanting USA, uh, it was just mind blowing. Um, and then gold medal moment is stepping on the ice in Sochi, Russia to race my track, having my head doctor, 
who was in Colorado Springs, who was there with my mom and I the first day on crutches. And now he was the head doctor in my race um, in Sochi. So that's nobody can take that. So no, that's unbelievable. Yeah. It does seem to be a lot of alignment somehow. Mm-hmm. Like with all the hurdles, it seems like things like in a very weird and challenging way eventually yeah. kind of fit into place. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank and you. uh and how'd the competition go that year? Yeah, I mean it went pretty good. I mean, I obviously was not a metal contender by any means or anything like that, but just just to get out there, um, you know, race, race my race. Um there was it was incredible. And to finish off 2014, we had another World Cup after that. Um and just, you know, keep be strong and then keep going. It's amazing. Thank you. Well, that's amazing. Okay. Well, we said off air now, we, we were talking about the um sort of the now what moment. So mm-hmm. you had like an absolute storybook athletic career. Like thank you. Uh, for real though. And and like yeah. <laughs> like they make movies out of stuff like that. It's just like true storybook career. And now it sounds like you're on to some pretty incredible other things. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. Absolutely. So after Sochi, um, I took some time off. Um, I needed to know if I wanted to commit to another four years or not. Right. Um, it's another four years. Missed 2018 um, by one spot. Mm. Uh, and again, I think that's just where I'm a big believer. Everything happens for a reason. I was not supposed to be there. On, um, my- yeah. It was a struggle. Um and the girl that beat me it was her first Olympic, you know, rings to be able to go to. And I couldn't have been more excited for her to go. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, I think, when life really set in, you know, it's that now what, you know, now what do you do? Um, definitely struggled um, for a lot of it, we'll say, uh, yeah. you know, where to go, what to do. Uh, as I never did go to school, obviously, I always skated throughout, you know, my years of college, not sure. that I came back. Um, you know, I worked retail. Um, I lived in Salt Lake the year after I retired. I, I became a para um, because if I did, I always said I would have went to school to be a teacher. And, you know, so getting to work with kids with special needs, I think just kind of was a different world change for me. So you started and you started what at a school out, out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Working- out in Utah. yeah. And is that in like a special needs classroom or or in mm-hmm. athletics capacity or both? Yeah, no, I was just at an elementary school. So it, I worked with um, four through sixth graders um, and they were severe. So um, just I, one, one was in a wheelchair, if not two. Um, two of them are nonverbal. Um, I was, as I said, I retired um, in January. I started that in September, August, I'm sorry. And I had that, okay, I come from a special education background, like I got this. Uh, the first month, I had no idea what to get myself into. Uh, I was just, you know, I think my mindset was just a mindset of an athlete, and mm-hmm. but it's completely different um, of a mindset, different part of your mental. Where I never worked with, you know, special needs with children who were nonverbal. Um, but I went from that first month of asking myself what I got myself into to becoming best of friends and bawling my eyes out mm-hmm. last day of school because at that point I knew I was moving. So. Yeah. And now, and okay, so from there, did you just dig in fully to that world or how did you find yourself um, doing what you're currently doing 
down in Texas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always said I was going to live in Salt Lake. Uh, I was very connected to my church. Um, I was never going to leave until I found another one, which I still haven't. Um, it's like a huge leap of faith. I was ready to leave um, Utah. My brother had said, hey, you want to move back with me in Ohio? And I had said I'd never live in Ohio, but never said I never, I learned. Uh, so I moved back there. Uh, actually, that was just almost about eight, nine months before COVID had happened. So it's, again, blessing in disguise, everything happens for a reason. I uh, moved there, lived there, and then the world started opening up. At that point, I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I tried mm-hmm. poking into motivational speaking world, um, small for to say the least. Uh, and then I had said, okay, well, what are both of my worlds, you know, kind of coming together? And it just kind of came sense to me of doing what I do now, um, you know, working with Special Olympics Texas and, you know, being around the athletes and just getting to see and live their dream come out. I think at the end of the day, there's no more bigger prize than that. I love that. Okay. So special, and and are you a Special Olympics coach and do you have a, what's your role down there? Yeah. So I work with Unified Champion Schools. So what that entails is that I actually go into the schools, into the special education uh, classes, the RISE classes, they call them, and, you know, ask them, you know, what are are they able to do with their students to be able to, to work with general ed? You know, so no kid is set aside. And, you know, so they get to, you know, partner up, do a Unified. We're obviously huge in that. Uh, so they can, you know, get to like track and field or, you know, color or art or seeing, you know, whatever it is that they're good at, you know, to just feel just like everybody else at the end of the day. Wow. I love that. Yeah. It's very cool. So I like this a lot. This is good. The, um, and we could talk about, uh, we could talk about this all day. I guess I'll have to wait for the book, but, um, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, I just think that's such a special path to take it in and then to give it back. So, uh, how about this? If you could talk to whether it's one of your current athletes or maybe a peer that you work with or a young athlete or a coach out there listening to this, what are some of what are some of the lessons that you're really either the ones that you're really glad you learned through your sport career mm-hmm. or maybe even that you wish you would have learned through your sport career that that have set you up um, to succeed post career? Yeah, um, such a good question. You know, I think for the ones you know listening out there is that you have to take all of your bad experiences and turn them into a good. Yeah. You know, rather if you're just starting out and you think that you're not good at it um you know figure out a way to to get better if that's what you want you know if you want to achieve that that ring of life that you're going for it's not going to be easy and mm-hmm. you have to know that and this was pretty hard for me to overcome that not every athlete and coach are going to get along you have to find the balance and you have to find you know what works for that coach works for you and vice versa. It has to be an open communication. You have to have that belief, you know, within yourself and with your coaches. And I think for coaches out there, you have to know who your athlete is and to always remember to, um, you know, separate them as one athlete as who they are, visualize them and, you know, let them know that they are their own person, you know, on and off the track, with whatever that is and whatever that looks like for them and know that the same training program isn't going to always work for everybody. That's so good. I hope everyone heard that. I heard, I heard open communication, belief, 
Mm-hmm. And I hear like sort of individualized or context specific adaptation. Mm-hmm. And there's probably, then there's no shortcut to that. There's no one size fits all program. There's no, um, there's no one size fits all career. Uh, those are really good. So yeah, if coaches, I hope athletes hear that. And I hope coaches recognize that too. It's funny, Kelly, one of the things that we always sort of push back against is um, one of the big challenges sometimes for coaches Mm -hmm. is is when something has worked for them, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough. So it it worked in column A in this context for this person. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work in column B with a totally different person in context. Now, there are probably some things that can transfer, but the only way be sure they transfer well is to be adaptable and look closely and have open communication and, and try to individualize the approach. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just, you, you have to know the athlete that you're working with and, you know, cause their strengths, there's not everybody in strengths and, you know, vice versa. So you have to know, you know, where they struggle, where they're good at, and you have to adapt the program to them. And I think that's why I'm able to sit here in front of you today is because it all started off with, the, the inline coach that I had, you know, pushing me to that mentality of, you know, you go until you go and being able to train with Apollo when I was trainer, mm. let me just tell you, he don't mess around. So <laughs> you have to have that. that mentality of, you know, that strength, you know, within you, but you know, what worked for Apollo, I wasn't doing what Apollo did, you know, right. I was doing sure. what, you know, worked for Kelly. So you have to have that, you know, that gap of, you know, the athletes are all separated. That's amazing. Well, and that that's a really nice full circle comment because you kind of started off this talking about self-awareness and these mm-hmm. are my challenges. These are my hurdles, but also he, these are my strengths. And I'm mm-hmm. going to, it's almost like if you take a judgment-free look at all of those things, a challenge is not a bad thing. It is just what no. is presented to you. And mm-hmm. then your strengths, like their only strengths are only good if you can actually enlist them. And so having the awareness uh, to put all those pieces together feels right. really important. So yeah, exactly. Well, you're amazing. Thank you for thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing your <laughs> story. You. It's inspiring. I hope people I hope people learn from where can people find you? Where can people find more about your story and and keep an eye out for the book coming out and all that stuff? Of course. Um well first off, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the conversation. Um I hope to inspire somebody out there today. Um my biggest um I guess social media platform is I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, my name is just Kelly Gun- Kelly Gunther, all one word. Uh, I do have a website, kellygunthersspeaker.com. Um, you can find me there. Here's some of my story. My videos on there. Um, yeah, and I was just saying, I'm a girl next door, so I'm an open book. Hopefully the book will come out soon and be able to share. That's amazing. Well, I'll make sure that we also, we get links to all that stuff in the show notes. So if people are listening, they can just double down to that. Uh, truly grateful to have uh, you talk to us today. Happy to share your story. Lots to learn from it. And we will uh, we'll definitely be in touch. I think there's a lot more good things to come. For sure. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. 
They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.